for us to create an environment where they feel heard and seen, where they know that what they're doing is contributing to something larger than just themselves. Um, they know they're at an organization that cares about them, that wants to see them succeed, and is giving them so many different ways to grow in their career. Those people are going to work so much harder. Welcome to Real Leadership, the podcast that cuts through the noise to focus on leaders who make, move, and process things in the real economy. Together, we'll discover the strategies and hard-earned lessons from pragmatic, gutsy leaders who operate in a world that is more stake than it is sizzle. Right here, we dive into their stories, challenges, and triumphs to go beneath the surface to the very heart of leadership in the real economy. I'm your host, Jim Weaver, Chief Operating Officer of the Ona Group, where we believe that real leadership does indeed matter. Let's go. Understanding your labor market is crucial for successful recruitment. Onan Staffing's Recruitment Strategy Guide provides insights specific to your geographic location and the positions you're hiring for. Our Recruitment Strategy Guide delivers a clear snapshot of your labor market and actionable intel to tackle market-specific challenges. With Onan's expertise, we help you navigate and win in your competitive landscape. Empower your recruiting process with the insights you need. Learn more about Ona's Recruitment Strategy Guide at onastaffing.com backwards slash strategy. All right. In today's episode, we're delighted to introduce Will Jenkins, an entrepreneur and business leader. Uh, Will co-founded Molo Solutions, a third-party logistics startup at the age of 27, uh, under Will's leadership, the company experienced remarkable growth, reaching annual revenue of $615 million within just a few years, and they earned a number of prestigious, fastest-growing company, best-place-to-work awards in the process. In 2021, Will and his co-founders sold Molo Solutions to a giant in the industry, ArcBest, for $235 million uh, by 2022, Molo had expanded to over 800 employees, generating an impressive $1.25 billion in revenue. In May of this year, Will took a little left turn and made the decision to part ways with Molo and started a new chapter as a consultant, sales coach, and investor. And I think we'll dig into the other stuff he's into. Uh, welcome, Will. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for the great yeah. intro. Yeah. Good. Well, it's a it's an impressive uh, career track so far. You're still a pretty young guy. Thank you. We're gonna uh, your Molo run is really impressive, and um, I am really curious about what you're up to now and your perspective, having uh, stepped away. But I really would like to turn back the clock first and go back a little bit. So you grew up around Chicago, I right? Did. Yeah. So I'm from Maywood, Illinois. For anyone that's familiar, it's the west side of Chicago about 10 miles west of the center of the city, uh, close to Oak Park, okay. so, but yeah, I'm from the city. Okay, yeah, we're, yeah. Um, and you went to school at Illinois Wesleyan and you played football there for four years, I right? I did, yeah, played football there. I grew up playing sports. My brother played football actually uh, five years ahead of me at a rival college, so like, you know, I was just used to watching college ball and I knew I wanted to play. Uh, so Wesleyan was a really good fit academically and athletically. Yeah, I, I like the, 
you know, obviously playing at that level is is cool. But I tell you, the thing that tweaked my interest looking at your bio is the job you held while you were in school. You did the classic warrior direct sales gig, didn't you? Did Tell us about that. Yeah. So when I was 18, about three days after I graduated from high school, I got a call to start, well, to go interview for a role at Vector Marketing, which is the company that sells Cutco Kitchen Cutlery. And it's Mm -hmm. a very prominent summer job that a lot of high school and college students have. I hadn't heard of it until I got the call. Uh, It was recommended by a friend. And then I started, I went through training and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Um, The training was really good, but it was by far and away the hardest thing I had done um, you know, at 18 years old, it was direct sales, all cold calling. They give you no leads. They don't hand wow. you any business. And to this day, whenever I talk about my journey and how I, you know, I've gotten to where I am, that shaped my career without a doubt. Uh, the things that I was able to learn at 18 around how do you build rapport? How do you handle objections? How do you battle adversity? And the funniest thing to me is that I went to a really small high school. High school had 400 students. Mm-hmm. So each class has about 100 yeah. kids. You know everybody. I know their parents. Sure. We played sports together. We sat together for four years. So when I start selling Cutco, my first appointments, I'm calling out of my high school directory. Hey, you know, this is Will. I went to high school with your daughter. And we start talking. I'm getting hung up on by these people. I'm like, you know me. It's so, I'm like, this is crazy. Like, I've known you for four years of my life. It's so nuts. Um, but that was such an eye-opening experience because it taught me in sales that a lot of times it's not about you. It's not personal. It's timing. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to provide value to who you're talking to. So really good stuff for the future. But at 18, I had to yeah. grapple with, okay, how do you handle that rejection and not get completely flattened? Like I got to pick the phone up and call someone else. Uh, so some of the best lessons I've ever had. I sold water filters and and supplements when I was in college. Same deal, man. My parents wouldn't even like take my calls uh, for a while because it's like it's brutal, man. Yeah. Um, so how did you deal? What? How did you adapt and and deal with the with the rejection? So. I, I was fortunate enough to have some really good mentors and managers during my time selling Cutco. So my first summer, I did really well. I sold about $25,000 worth of, of Cutco in like seven or eight weeks. Wow. Uh, yeah, before football camp. So that was cool. Wow. And that was what made me think, okay, you know, it's got to be entrepreneurship or sales for me, right? Like that's what it's got to be. Uh, because initially I was going to study medicine at Wesleyan because I want to be a doctor, but that's a whole nother aside. But anyway, um, the things that, that helped me were one, my parents and two, the coaches and you know mentors that I had selling Cutco. So my dad was extremely supportive, like opened up, you know, his network. Hey, you know, call this guy. My dad's a paramedic, very, very amicable guy, like knows everybody. So he's like, hey, call my buddy here and do this. So that was very encouraging because my dad didn't know anything about like sales per se or like the product, but he was like, if you're doing it, I want to support you. So, you know, yeah. even if the appointment didn't go well or I didn't sell as much as I wanted to, like I knew my dad was going to have my back and like, hey, you know, keep getting after it. Do your thing. Um, and then the manager I had, his name's Danny Lewis. He and I are still pretty close today. Um, always was encouraging was, hey, you know, come to the office. We'll do some role plays or I'll help you plan out your day. How much do you want to sell? How much money do you want to make? And so even when I had really, really tough days where I drive to appointments and this is before 
GPSs were like really a thing. So I had a like a little Garmin that plugged into the uh, sure the fire not the fire but the um the cigarette lighter cigarette in the car lighter. right. So I'm like driving around and mapping it all poorly, and I get to an appointment and they cancel, and I'm like sad, and I call Danny and he's like just you know brush it off. You got to go to another one. Um, and I think another part of it was was being in sport right. So I've never been the best athlete ever. I'm like very normal um but i do think that i've learned how to have a very high work ethic and the time that it takes to get good at sport is very similar to business right like you're going to be bad at first and if you're persistent long enough you will figure it out and that to me has been like the story of my life like i've just never been the pick it up and be the best at everything immediately but like i'm not afraid to put the work in and that helped me a lot so is that a lot of people don't make it with Cutco? I'm sure. Um, I would imagine the, the success rate's pretty slim. So is that is that the key? Yeah, I, I think it is. So there's two things in that particular role. Uh, one of which is you have to follow the training that they give you. It's really simple, and this helped me a lot long term with coaching sales reps and higher level, more strategic selling, because I learned at 18 what a target customer was. I knew what a good customer was. I knew what a bad prospect was. And so throughout my career selling Cutco, I managed offices. I actually had an office downtown Chicago, had 80 sales reps. It was a lot of fun, but wow. my reps that were successful called the target style of customers. And for Cutco, a target customer is someone that is typically over 30, they own a home and they're married. Now, that's not to say that people who don't fit those three characteristics aren't going to buy Cutco. It's just more, it's less likely. And so sure. I just called people that I knew were over 30 that were married and owned a home and they bought Cutco because they were homeowners that like to cook and you know they spent a little bit more money on certain things. And so that to yeah. me, I think was helpful. Um, and then also just being able to like follow directions <laughs> like I'm, I'm used to being coachable and so i'm sitting here listening to like really successful sales reps that make a ton of money and they're saying hey this is what you need to do here's how you plan your day and okay cool like if that's what you say i need to do i'm, I'm going to go do that i don't i don't need to reinvent the wheel that's the zig ziglar uh if you want something somebody's got you do what they did yeah. to get what they got 100%. right yeah yeah Recruiting top talent is tough. Onan Staffing focuses on people, offering exceptional benefits to attract and retain dedicated workers. Partner with us for flexible, data-driven solutions. Visit OnanStaffing.com to learn more. All right, let's walk us through, you know, you graduate college and uh, walk us through the progression, um, Kimberly Clark, Coyote, um, and then we'll we'll talk about the transition into Momo. Totally. So my experience selling Cutco really helped me for all of the roles I interviewed at or interviewed for um, when I was in the process of finding a full time job um, while I was at Wesleyan. So my first role was with Kimberly Clark, and they make Kleenex and Cottonelle and all that stuff. And so I actually got that position um, because an alum came to Wesleyan to interview for a financial analyst position. I talk about this a lot too, because in the interview process for kids that I mentor and whatnot, I try to help them understand how to tell good stories because that creates opportunities. And so I interviewed for a financial analyst position and I got a sales job because the person I was interviewing with was like, hey, that is really great experience and you could go do the financial analyst position 
but I think you'd be better for this job. And so I went down to Atlanta, I interviewed for that role. Um, I took it, I was really excited to get down there. I didn't know anybody in Atlanta. Um, and it was an incredible opportunity to work with an organization as large as Kimberly Clark. They are probably a $16 billion company today, maybe larger. Yeah. Um, and I was a, you know, a small drop in the bucket, um, but the resources an organization has like that, crazy. So I get the role, I start in July, I go through a month long training and it's like hands-on, right? I've got a training mentor and all these really regimented things and it taught me how to sell professionally. And that helped me a lot as I began to get into higher level strategic sales because at 22, I went through really rigorous training to talk to people that candidly like, I was not prepared to talk to at 22, but I had to go through that process to be able to do it. Um, so I was really, really grateful for that. And Kevin Clark was a great organization. Um, but if you haven't may, maybe noticed, I'm a pretty ambitious um, individual. And so I just didn't think I was going to climb the, the corporate ladder at KC for as long as it would take to get to where I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, so I looked for something different. And I had a lot of friends that worked at Coyote. Um, I had no idea what transportation was outside of the fact that I saw trucks on the road. And two of my best friends that I actually sold Cutco with at 18 were really good sales reps at Coyote. So when I left Kimberly Clark, I said, hey, you know, you guys seem to be making good money. You're happy. You know, you're always doing like cool stuff. You know, tell me a little bit about this organization. Um, and so I got an interview there in I think I interviewed in like November of 2013 um, for a carrier sales role, which uh, that's a sales rep that talks to drivers and helps facilitate shipments from point A to point B. So I took that job. I started in January of 2014. And I spent two years in that role and I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, the money was good. It was very fast paced. It was competitive. I was also team oriented, which is something that, you know, I've been on teams my entire life. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but it was really, really nice to be in a fast paced startup style organization where I felt if I put the work in, if I was willing to do the work, I would be compensated fairly and that opportunities existed, you know, outside of the, the current role that I had. And it was a blast. So I did that for two years. Um, and uh -huh. then I got an opportunity to manage on the other side of the business. So there's two distinct sides, typically carrier side and customer side. Um, so I went to manage a customer facing sales team. There were eight sales reps. And so our responsibility was to call customers similar to Kraft Heinz or Coca-Cola and solicit them to win shipments for our team to move. Um, I'd never done that before, but I'd done sales. I'd done high level sales before. Yeah. Um, so the transition wasn't terribly difficult. I understood the industry, uh, but funny enough, I was the first person at Coyote that they moved straight from the carrier side of the business to manage on the customer side. So traditionally, you'd have to go sell and be in the role for a while. Um, but I was fortunate enough to you know, interview for the role and, and get it and be able to kind of cut my teeth on that side of the business. And it was where I should, like that was where I was fit to be. Accomplishing diversity, equality, and inclusion directives can be challenging. Excelsior Staffing, a certified MBE providing staffing solutions for light industrial sectors, has been helping companies like yours find success since 2007. Strengthen your diverse team with Excelsior. ExcelsiorStaffing.com So how did, how did the... Molo uh, startup yeah. 
come together? Yeah, so I was at Coyote until January of 2017. And in January of 2017, I left to go to a company called Transport America. They are a pretty large uh, asset-based player based out of Minnesota. And they recruited me to help build out a brokerage they had recently purchased in Ravenswood, like Northern Illinois. Um, it was a really cool, or Northern Chicago. Um, it was a really cool opportunity, a director level role. You know, I was 26 at the time. So I'm like, great career jump and you know the money's good, like let's go do that. Um, so that was that was pretty sweet. I spent four months there um, before Molo came to be. And and what was interesting for me at that role was that it taught me a lot about the core values of an organization that make me feel whole and you know enjoy what I do on a day-to-day basis. And like I, I love employee development. It's something that I've really done for like, since I was like 18, like I've coached and mentored people. I think that really good training and onboarding processes are key differentiators for organizations. And so going to a, a place where we didn't spend a ton of time doing that and it made it harder for people to excel at their roles was challenging. So I was like, man, obviously I really care about that. So that's, you know, gotta be a piece of wherever I go. Um, and so I took so you kind of saw what not to yeah, do. Yeah, correct. Um, and and you yeah, know, not okay. to uh, to say anything poorly about the organization. I learned yeah. a lot, um, but there were just some things that uh, that I didn't align with. And so, um, I actually took a backpacking trip uh, similar to what I'm on right now, but not quite as long. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in I was in Europe, uh, walking around, and you know, trying to think, hey, like, what do I want to go do next? Um, I came back to the states. I left Transport America and I sat down and, and had a couple of conversations with a, a few colleagues, um, one of which, his name is Andrew Silver. He was uh, our CEO at Molo and he was actually my manager at one point when I was at Coyote. So when I was a customer sales manager, he was the director for the Chicago office. So he and I worked really closely, played a lot of intramural sports together. Like we were super close and um, he, you know, we started talking about what it would be like to start an organization like Molo. And um, there were also two other individuals involved, um, Stefan Mathis, who was a carrier sales rep at Coyote. He and I worked together there too. And then our president um, for a while with Molo, his name is Matt Vogrich. Um, he and Andrew went to Michigan together. And so, um, you know, we're sitting down talking about, you know, what's it look like to start this organization? Do we know what we're doing? How are we gonna be different? <laughs> Um, and that was April of 2017 when I got involved to, uh, to start working on the business. Um, and then we launched in July of 2017. It was myself, um, Matt Vogridge and Stefan and, and Andrew, uh, was not involved because he had a non-compete. So he sat out until the end of his non-compete and then joined us in uh, March of 2018. So what was the thing that tip the scales for you guys to jump off and, and do this? A couple of things. So in our industry, there are a few pieces of what you do that make you different, but not a lot of people do them very well. Uh, the first piece in our opinion was how we treat our customers. Now you would think that that is gotta be the, you know, easiest thing to solve and everybody's got that figured out, but transportation's such a cyclical business it has a lot of ebbs and flows and there are a lot of gray areas it is the grayest business i've ever worked in and what i mean by that is contractual obligations don't always mean contractual obligations so you know you work with a customer and they say hey you're going to get a thousand shipments during this duration of time and you might see a hundred because their forecasting yeah. was off um or you know a customer gives you a shipment 
and you commit to a particular rate and then the market fluctuates, now it's more expensive to cover that. And so you have to make a business decision, hey, do I wanna cover this for that money and lose? Do I wanna give it back? Do I wanna call the customer? And so what's interesting about that is most organizations will say, man, if we're gonna lose money on it, you gotta give that business back, right? Like, Jim, I'm sorry, but you know, this Fort Smith, Arkansas to Miami is costing me $500 more, I can't do it. And the number one thing we said in the beginning was, if we make a commitment to a customer, we're gonna execute it, regardless of market volatility, right? So it's not my customer's fault that I misquoted a shipment and they used my pricing to forecast what their cost would be. It's not their fault. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean you have to make really intelligent long-term decisions? Absolutely, it's not easy to do because you don't wanna commit to shipments or really you look at it at the account level, you don't wanna commit to, to accounts that you're not going to be able to see any upside on. You have to make money, but you cannot be short-sighted. So that was the first thing, right? How do we go to market and make it abundantly clear that if a customer gives us shipments, we're gonna execute them better than anyone else, regardless of what's going on. That was the first piece. That would that would be tough in your industry, what I understand about it. Um, it, it can be kind of a commodity industry. Oh, yeah. People are undercutting each other, mm-hmm. right? So to, um, you have that cost pressure to price aggressively to get it, but you know you've got to you're going to stick with your commitments. That had to have been difficult to strike that balance. Totally, it, it is challenging. I think the beauty of it is it's still such a relationship-driven business that if you are able to build relationships with the right shipping partners that value the service that you bring, you're able to balance out some of those challenging losses. And also not every customer operates the same, right? So there are some customers that aren't as large as the Fortune 500 organizations that are very, very cost conscious. And so as you build relationships on both sides, you have larger shippers that you move volume for and you're gonna have to play the ebb and flow volume game um, with pricing volatility. Then you have smaller shippers that aren't quite as sophisticated. They don't have the same level of pressure from Everyone's saying, hey, you got to drive costs down. If you're attacking the market properly, your balance between those two as much as you can be so that you can offset some of the losses with more profitable customers. But long term, the larger customers, you have to have them. You've got to be able to work with them throughout market volatility because today the freight market is extremely depressed, right? It is one of the slowest times that people have seen in quite quite a while. Um, we saw an amazing peak during COVID that was unprecedented. And so a lot of organizations planned as if that may be the new norm, and it most certainly is not. And so today, organizations that you may have had a hard time covering freight for during that time because it was really expensive, you need them. Because if you don't have that contractual volume, you don't have any business, right? So it's just, it's a tale of two sides of the coin, right? Like, how do you yeah. manage that? And we, we knew in the beginning that if we managed our freight and committed to customers at that particular level, that we'd be able to grow um, it obviously worked out. There were a lot of people that said, you're not gonna be able to do that. Customers don't care. They couldn't have been more wrong. So that was the first piece. Right. Okay. The second piece was the environment that we create for our people. So I mentioned earlier how much our group and, and myself in particular, like how much we care about the development of employees and, and things of that nature. And so we created what I think is the best training and onboarding program in the industry. 
Um, it's something that I have a lot of pride around because I spent my first three years at Molo building that team out and, and building out what it looked like to onboard our first 250 people. And for us to create an environment where they feel heard and seen, where they know that what they're doing is contributing to something larger than just themselves. Um, they know they're at an organization that cares about them, that wants to see them succeed and is giving them so many different ways to grow in their career. Those people are going to work so much harder. And so what you yeah. see and what was eye opening for me really was when you recruit people that are coming from other large organizations, people that we compete with and they say, oh, my gosh. Right. I've never worked at a place like this. I'm like, you know, what do you mean? They're like, we didn't really get training at this place. I'm like, that place is massive. Like, what do you mean you didn't get training? They're like, I, they just put us on the floor and yeah. we got on the phone. I'm like, OK, that's hard. It's probably why a lot of people leave because they don't feel confident mm. that they can do their jobs. And so that was something that we hang our hat on um, and have for a while, because we know if our people are confident in what they do and are able to execute at a high level because they know what their job is, they're going to feel more comfortable in, in what they do and they're going to execute for customers. So that was a big piece of it. Um, and the third piece, which is the most important at all, of all, is how we treat our drivers. So we don't own trucks. We're not a you know an asset-based trucking company. And, and the drivers that we hire um, contractually and, and transactionally to move freight from point A to point B, they're a reflection of our brand um, based on how they yeah. service the freight. And so we have to treat them extremely well, pay them well, make sure that they're always taken care of and respected. And if you do that, they're going to work with you above the 25,000 other brokerages, right? There's 25,000 other brokers that we're competing against. They use the same drivers. Why do they want to work with Molo versus somebody else? So that was a big piece of it. Um, and being able to focus on taking care of them helped us a ton. Land top technical and professional talent with Focus. Focus specializes in direct hire and contract placements, connecting you to exceptional candidates in IT, engineering, management, and more. Elevate your team with Focus. Visit getinfocus.com. When you look back at that time, you know, you're a young guy. You guys are, uh, I guess you sold with those guys. So you're probably around the same age yeah. uh, and you're scaling a large organization quickly. What were some of the, what were some of the missteps, mm -hmm. uh, things you do differently, you know, yeah. older and wiser will so, <laughs> would do differently if you could do it again. I think that early on, um, we could have attacked hiring people with more experience sooner to help execute for customers at a higher level, um, because it's really hard for someone that doesn't know. I'll just use a customer that has pretty high expectations, like a Kraft Heinz, right? They're large. Um, everybody wants their business. And if you're not executing for them, they will kick you out, right? Like you're not doing well enough. They'll put somebody else in. Uh, if you don't understand the constraints that they put in place for you to be able to execute for their business, you're not going to do well. So early on, um, you know, we're hiring people, some of which have no experience at all. And there's a learning curve involved in getting them up to speed, but you need them to hop in with these larger customers and do certain things. They're just not acclimated to do quite yet. Um, we could have attacked hiring more experienced people sooner. Um, also, it's just organized chaos 
when you're in a startup sure. and you're hiring, like our hiring classes would have 15 people at a pace and you're doing, you know, 15 people every two, three weeks, um, just intense hiring. So, the, you know, in terms of being able to nail that down, we're better at it or the organization is better at it today. Um, but really, sure. really being able to hone in, how do you make sure that it's always exactly the same, which you get to over time, but the first year or two, it's really hard to replicate that. You're holding and, and you're spinning plates trying to make sure that they don't break sure. and it's yeah. really hard to, to manage all of it. So those are things that we could have executed better. And also um, sometimes you have to slow down to speed up, right? So we grew, we were at $615 million in revenue when we sold the company. Um, that it took us four years to get there. And then it took us five and a half years to become a billion dollar company. But that doesn't mean that like there weren't insane growing pains throughout that process. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes you have to look and go, okay, is it better to slow down for a quarter and make sure that all of our processes are aligned and our team is exactly where they need to be to be able to execute? Is that better? Or do we want to just keep attacking at the aggressive pace now? Hindsight's twenty twenty, and it all worked out. So, you know, that's good. But sure. at times, you know, you think, gosh, right, like, I don't know if anybody here can breathe because it's so busy and so fast paced. So, you know, those are things that I think about as I consider starting an organi another organization. Um, you know, how do you scale responsibly and make sure that your team's equipped to be able to go do it? But sometimes they just won't be like you just have to go do it. I, I would imagine early days, you, you know, training and development is really important to you, but you couldn't have had a slick program out of the gate. It must have been just extremely hands on. Right. Oh, it's right. just you guys working side by side, shoulder to shoulder with your team. Yeah. yeah. So what was your role in the in the business? Mm -hmm. How would you define your role? Yeah. So the first three years, I focused primarily on our training and development and business process type thing. So I built out our training program. I helped build out our carrier sales team, our customer operations group. I built out our after hours tracking and support team. And that was one of the best experiences I could have asked for. I would love to have focused on just one thing, um, but I don't think I would be as well versed of a business professional today had I done that. Um, and it was unbelievably stressful, it was so hard because you pay attention to one thing and then you take your eye off the other one. You're like, oh, I got to go back to that other thing. Um, but yeah. it taught me a lot. So that was the first three years. Um, then the subsequent three years, I focused on building out our business development team. So I led our B2B sales, our shipper facing sales group. And that is by far and away what I'm best at. I love being in front of customers, um, but I just love coaching and developing people. And so sales is really taking people and helping them go and build a book of business, but how do you get them from where they are to where they need to be to be a well-rounded business professional? And I just, there's nothing I enjoy more than that. It's a lot of fun. Finding experienced, vetted aerospace contract workers ready to work with highly specialized skill sets isn't easy. Onan Aerospace can help with a wide pool of the best talent, attracted through our superior benefits. To learn more, visit onanaerospace.com. You've done a lot of sales yourself, done a lot of sales coaching. I know you're doing some of that now even. When you are working with a salesperson who is not, just not getting the numbers that they want to get, mm -hmm. how do you triage what's going on with them? It's a great question. The first thing I think you have to do is understand the person. And I, mean, I learned this 
early on in my sales career, sales management career, because in order for you to connect with someone and to help them grow, they have to trust you. And if they don't trust you, you're never really going to get to know them. You won't understand the underlying challenges that are maybe holding them back. There could be something in the personal life and the background that's going on that's like making it harder for them to perform. But if they don't trust you, they'll never open up to tell you that. So the first thing to me is, do I understand the person? Because if I understand the person, it's easier for me to you know, diagnose what the challenge might be. Okay, so we check that box. Now, typically it's either a skills issue. So they are not skilled enough in a particular area to move forward business or to close business, to prospect, right? Is it a skills issue? Um, are they not fit for the role, right? Are they not the kind of person that is able to make cold calls or get up and present in front of customers or do strategic analysis to be able to present something to someone, right? Is it a fit for the role? And once you figure out what that is, you have to start coaching to that need incessantly. And that person needs to be committed to building those skills to get better. So it's not, you know, it's a two-way street, right? Hey, I've identified that yeah. this person's really good at prospecting. They can get people on the phone and they know how to find good opportunities, but they just cannot get them past the finish line. They just, they can't do it. I've had reps like that, right? Okay, great. So we realize that this person can't, they're having a hard time closing. I need to role play with you. How do I get this past the finish line? And not just like once a month, it's like every day until we see tangible improvement. And as I'm showing up, it reminds me of going to the gym and having a trainer. Like I'm committed to this process of you getting fit and doing, you know, whatever you want to do. I need you also to be committed. Right. And you start to see yeah. really quickly, which of those reps that are struggling are committed to the process, to getting better at what they're doing. Because if they show up daily, I have, I'll tell you a story. One of my favorite reps I've ever worked with came from the operation side of the business, which is more, it's like the style of work where your work comes to you, so you don't have to be very sure. proactive. Um, and yep. Came to sales and it's his first sales role. And I start managing him, he's like maybe four months in. I'm like, all right, we're gonna cold call. Let me get on the phone and very, very shaky, not very confident. I'm like, it's all good, we'll make another one. Very, very shaky, not very confident. This was March of 2020. We spent the rest of the year, every day, 30 minutes, we're in a cold call. We're just going to cold call customers and you're going to get comfortable. And then we're going to role play actual calls with customers. So I'll be the customer and you be you and you're selling me Molo. And mm -hmm. this person was so committed to the process of getting good that like four or five months later, I'm just on calls. I don't, I don't even talk. I don't need to talk because they stepped up every day and said, man, this is uncomfortable. I don't like it. I know I, I know I don't sound good, right? I know I sound dumb or I'm going to say something that's not right. Didn't care. I just, I'm going to keep coming to the table and doing better and better. And by the time this individual grew their book of business and was making a ton of money, I'm like, you don't even need, you don't even need me. I don't need to talk at all, but it's yeah. a two way street. So back to your original question, yeah. you got to assess, is it skills or is it the person like, are they a fit for the role? And then you need to be committed to helping them grow those skills. Do you think you could teach someone to be a grinder? I mean, you're talking about really working, like really being a craftsperson, you know, in sale. Can can you teach? Do you think you can teach someone or is that just born born in somebody? I think you can teach someone to be a grinder for the right motivations. So if I know your motivations, I can like 
we can push any button to get you to where you want to be yeah. if I know your motivations, right? So I've had reps that are like, I would like to go buy a condo, um, but I've never made commission. They don't care about recognition. They don't want a free lunch. This dude wants to make money so he can go buy a condo. It's like, great, right? It's time to go to work, right? Because if we don't start putting up numbers, we're not going to buy that condo. And so understanding yeah. their motivators can help push whatever it might be. But yeah, there are some people that just come coded as grinders. I have reps I've worked with that I've just never seen that level of work ethic. I'm like, you just have it differently. And some people are just wired that way. Facing sudden growth or limited by traditional financing? Momentum Capital Funding empowers businesses with real-time cash flow through AR Factory. Get the funding you need and fuel your success. Visit MomentumCapitalFunding.com to learn more. A lot of business owners um, dream of, especially, you know, when things get a little tough, dream of cashing out and walking away. Yeah. And you did that fairly recently. And I'm just curious, what have you discovered? Such a good question. So I left the business in May of 2023. So May 12, 2023 was my last day. So it's been two months and a day. Uh, we yeah. sold the business in November of 2021. So, you know, was really involved in the integration and all those things. And that was a lot of fun. Learned a ton doing that. But when you're so involved in a business that it is essentially your life, you start to forget the things that make you uniquely who you are. Like, what is what is Will like other than trucks? You know, like what? You know, it's not all freight. Um, and it's been, you know, an incredible journey. I've learned a lot throughout that process. But the last, I've been traveling abroad for the last month by myself. I wow. write, I write every single day in the morning. I write down what I did the day before in a note on my iPhone, and then I like add pictures of stuff that I did. And what I'm learning is that I love to think deeply about what drives me as a person. Um, and it's not money. Uh, it's not like recognition and status. Um, I love helping people. And I know that I'm really good at helping salespeople. I also know that I'm really good at coaching people in general. Um, and the only reason I think I'm any good at it is because I was never naturally talented at stuff. I had to be coachable to learn how to get good. So I've just done that for the last 15 years of my life. And so it's been weird because I haven't been working um, like I'm trying my best to do nothing yeah. uh, to unplug for a little bit and I'm like yearning to have that connection again with people that I can like coach and develop because I know I love that but it takes being away from it to understand you know of all the things that you were doing like which one really mattered um, mm -hmm. and that to me is big I had a conversation with uh, a rep a few days ago um, that a uh, rep that left our business and is doing something different today, which is really cool. And it was just so nice to be able to, to reconnect and, you know, hear this person, you know, see success where they are. And I'm like, man, you know, I had something to do with that. That like makes me really happy. So yeah, that yeah. to me has been like a, a cool discovery, which I think I knew, but it's good to step away and say like, no, that's actually it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is next? It's a great question. Lunch I don't, or dinner? <laughs> yes, no, dinner, dinner tonight. Um, but I, I don't know 100%. I will say that I probably am going to lean towards uh, something that allows me 
to be heavily involved with sales professionals, whether it's coaching, uh, whether it's like a, a sales training business or something of the sort. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a non-compete um, for a bit here in the transportation space. And I actually am rather grateful for that because it makes me go think differently about how I can use my skill set in another industry. Um, you know, something closely related, but not specifically freight brokerage. And that's great because the last time I had to go do something really hard, we built an incredible business. So yeah. I'm not afraid to to go attack that. But, you know, I don't really know. That's part of this backpacking trip I'm on right now is to think, you know, what do you want to spend the next 10, 15, 20 years of your life doing? And, and for me, I'd like to build a business that is 100% remote, uh, you know, probably a much smaller team. Um, something that allows people to have a fair amount of flexibility, be fairly lucrative. Um, and I don't want hundred percent know what that is, but I know by the time I'm done with this trip that I'll have it locked in. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a really unique opportunity there. Uh, perhaps more people could create a situation like that for themselves, but, uh, it's, it's pretty neat. Uh, your story is fantastic. You're still a young guy, and we're gonna we're gonna keep our keep our eye on you, man. Thank you. I, I yeah. appreciate it. It's been incredible getting a chance to know you and and talk a little bit here. So I, I appreciate you letting me share my story. Well, so you are doing some some consulting and sales coaching right now. How can people get in touch with you if they yeah? If they so do that? my LinkedIn is just my name, Will Jenkins, and I'm very active there. So feel free to shoot me a note. Uh, my website is Will jenkinswcj.com and my twitter handle is at will jenkins wcj so all of my socials are will jenkins wcj and and that is also my linkedin um, so very active there the best place to reach to reach me yeah thank you so much will keep it real Thank you for listening. This podcast was powered by Onan, a family of staffing companies providing real staffing solutions to manufacturing, logistics, and food processing companies across the United States of America. To get in touch or learn more about partnering with an Onan Group company, visit us at www.onangroup.com. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.